This podcast is brought to you by Brilliant, a marketing and design studio based in Washington, D.C., where their team of designers, strategists, and human engagement experts build brilliant brands, campaigns, and revenue strategies. Contact them at brilliant.co. That's B-R-L-L-N-T dot C-O. Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Mocharco, host of DC Entrepreneur. Today in the studio, we're speaking with Toya Gavin. She's the mind behind Legally Bold. Legally Bold is a legal coaching and business consulting company for women pursuing careers in law. Toya also has a legal practice through a virtual law firm where she helps advise entrepreneurs with business formation, contracts, copyright, trademarks, and other small business issues. Thanks for dropping by today. Thanks for having me, George. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So, Toya, tell us about Legally Bold and how you chose to focus your career on helping women lawyers. Legally Bold, we use coaching to help professional women, specifically women in the law. Uh, We help them to clarify the next steps in their career and to create a path to get there. And as you mentioned earlier, we also consult with women who want to build businesses, and we give them the structure, support, and resources they need to get it done. Um, How I started this business was that um, I actually had just a, a professional and personal crisis in my life about a year and a half ago. Um, I had started my solo practice and I was loving it. And then I became depressed and I had never suffered from depression before. Um, I didn't know what was happening. I actually thought that I was literally sick. I went to all these doctors and thought I had a brain tumor and all kinds of stuff. Um, But from that experience, I learned that I wasn't alone, that 28% of lawyers suffer from depression, that we have high rates of substance abuse in our profession. And it's usually because we need a change in what we're doing or the way we're practicing law currently. And um, we don't necessarily take the steps that we need to do that. So after going through my experience, I wanted to help other women specifically figure out what's next, Um, especially women who are at the point where they're starting families or, um, you know, having children and dealing with those needs. There's a lot of conflict between, okay, how do I maintain a career, a career I'm happy with and serve the needs of my family? And so um, that's what led to me starting the the coaching business. Now, you have a very fascinating background, too, because you studied engineering when you were at Rutgers and then shifted and changed your career to working in law uh, when you were at GW. So talk to me about your path to entrepreneurship. How did you become an entrepreneur? How did you decide that you wanted to strike out on your own and start your own consulting business? Um, so, yeah, so I I do a lot of weird things that I think that most people don't necessarily um or past people don't necessarily take. Um, I started off in engineering. Um, I had a, uh, I went to high school and did a program there when I was in high school for engineers and I loved it. And even though I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer, I was like, no, I'm, I like this engineering thing. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to build these robots and to try stuff and to be in the lab. And I did that. Um, and while I was there, I um, became really friendly with a dean who explained to me, like, I know you want to go to law school, but there's engineers who are lawyers, too. And he set up this meeting with alumni who were patent lawyers. And I said, oh, OK, this is the path. I'm going to be a patent lawyer. I'm going to do the engineering and then go to patent law. 
And um, I went to GW Law School um, specifically for their intellectual property program. And I enjoyed it. But what I didn't enjoy was the actual patent law itself. <laughs> I was you mean just doing the work? Just doing the work. Yeah. I, I um, had a, some internships in it. And I just found myself like wanting to hang out with the engineers. I didn't really want to do the patent applications. Uh-huh. I wanted to like build the stuff and uh-huh. <laughs> go in the field and do the things. Um, and so from there, I said, OK, well, what? Well, I know you like the law. What do you like? And I did actually really, really well in criminal law. I think it's um, criminal law is very much like a, a engineering process in that they're, the statutes to me are like steps that you follow, almost like a math problem to figure out and figure out how you fit it in. Um, and I did well and uh, made my way into criminal law and became a prosecutor. So I was a prosecutor in New Jersey for a while. Um, and again, I would take programs and different entrepreneurship classes and different things. I just, I don't know, I always enjoy doing something interesting or fun or trying to build something or figure something out. And to me, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's it's figuring out, like, how do you make this business work and, and help people? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I, I wanted to strike out on my own. And I kind of told myself that, um, I think it was 2015, that I was going to give myself five years to see, like, how could I make this work? Like, how could I make a business work on my own, starting with no clients? Could I do it? And I did, and and that's why I'm here. <laughs> great, that's a great backstory. Mm-hmm. So, do you, this is a question I ask a lot of people that are on the show. Do you think anyone can be an entrepreneur, or do you think you have to have something innate about your the way that you see the world in order to be an entrepreneur? I think that anybody can be an entrepreneur if they want to be. So, I think I think this kind of goes back to um, this concept of talent in our culture, and it's like either you have talent or you don't. And when we think of talent, we think of it like either you're a singer or an actor or, you know, some one of these familiar fields. But that's not what talent is to me. And um, talent is sort of being able to connect the experiences and skills in your life in unique ways and and connect them into something that you want to do. And so that something might be like, I want to build a business. And so if you want to do that, you're an entrepreneur, you can do it. But that something might be, you know, you see a nonprofit and you see how your skills and your experience, your talent, how you can connect it to make a program there and make it better. So, um, yeah, I think anyone can be an entrepreneur if they want to be. I just don't know if necessarily everyone wants to do that. Sometimes right. people want to work in structures that are already built and then there are other people who want to create the structure themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I I, I think it's not for everybody because it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really difficult. Yes. I mean, and then, you know, you have to have that drive to be able to want to do it in the first place. But I, I think there's something to it. Yeah. That, you know, there can be like the innate desire to maybe change something or want to innovate in an area. But to be able to execute and carry through, I think that's a whole different skill set. Right. And I also think as well with entrepreneurship, it's about like dealing a lot with fear, like and sure. just and just doing it anyway and having people tell you you're crazy and doing it anyway. And all the fears that are in your head, plus your family's head, you know, my parents are teachers mm-hmm. and they've had they sit at the same job forever and they retired. And so when you yeah. tell them their daughter, like, yeah, I have this job that's actually pays money and I'm doing well, but I'm going to leave with no clients. I'm going to start this business they're like, okay, that sounds like, you know, a television show. What are you <laughs> <laughs> actually going to do? So, yeah, you kind of, I think that's one of the major things about entrepreneurship as well that makes it difficult. It's about you 
challenging yourself and um, I wouldn't say overcoming your fears. It's just like saying I have the fear and I'm doing it anyway. Like I'm scared, but here we go. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest fear being an entrepreneur? Um, I, I would say for, I think people have different ones. I would say for me, it's the stability, the financial stability. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working, your your paycheck comes every two weeks or however the schedule is. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to make the money come and it could it could be great and it could come all at once. And you're like, hooray. And then there are times where you're like, whoa, what's what's going on here? Where where is it coming? So to me, that's a the biggest fear, the stability part. Um, I think for some other people, not just the financial stability, maybe it's just the um, idea of being rejected, like their idea, not people not accepting their idea or or I guess it would be more like rejected or failure. So you build something and you think it's great. And then the marketplace is like, we don't need this. And so if you're an entrepreneur, you, you know, you lick your wounds and then you try something else. Um, but a lot of people like that's not they don't particularly care for that feeling. And so they're like, I'm giving this up. I'm just going to go back into into the work world. I'm not going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sometimes easier to travel the safe path than it is to do something innovative or new a lot of times. So tell me about some of the clients that you've helped out. Who are the clients that you're working with? How has Legally Bold helped them out? And how have you gone about creating your consulting and coaching business? Um, so on the coaching side, I find that a lot of my clients are professional women, not just lawyers. Um, but because I'm a lawyer, I tend to attract other lawyers. And um, women who are sort of deciding like, okay, I, I work at this firm, it, it pays really well. Um, but in the morning, I'm crying in the shower, and I don't want to go. Or having these like fantasies, which I had of like maybe if I just get sick and then I can go out on disability, just weird things. Um, and it's really just because like it's time for them to move on, and they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Facing all the fears of the financial instability if they want to build a business or um, what people might say. Um, and so on the coaching side, I use coaching to help them clarify exactly what they want next. Cause a lot of times people feel I don't have talent. I'm not creative. I don't know what I want. And, um, I don't believe that. I think we just have to uncover that. Um, but once you do, it's really about building the boundaries um, in your life to get it done and making a decision, like an actual decision takes action. So you can't say, like, I want to lose weight and think about it. You actually have to, like, go to the gym. It's the same way with deciding you want to change your career. You actually have to take those first steps. So um, there are several um, attorneys who I work with. Um, there are also like uh, women in other fields like accounting and things like that. They tend to be professional women um, who are usually referred to me um, by friends or another client or um, someone who I actually have one client who was referred to me through a photographer. I have a, one of my best friends is a former attorney and a photographer and she was photographing a woman and I met her through there um so that's on the coaching side on the consulting side um it's a lot of women who want to go out on their own in terms of solo practices so I've built a a virtual solo practice and that's attractive to a lot of people who want to work from home and like how do I figure out how I can work from home in the with a law practice um or any online business really and so I've had to figure out a lot of things and take a lot of courses in order to get it done. And so I help women um, in those arenas as well. 
So before we started taping, you were talking about working with some of your clients through Zoom or Skype. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they don't have to necessarily be in person. You can also help them through remote conferencing, right? Right. Most of my clients, we aren't meeting in person. We usually do um, a Zoom call, which is a video conferencing platform. Um, and that's how we meet. And then I have a, a portal where we you know, have information passes a secure portal. There's all these applications you can use. And um, we have homework assignments if it's like coaching and um, different documents and things that I help them along the path. And it's also accountability. You know, there's something to saying you're going to do something or saying you're going to get a task done and then having you know someone on the other end is going to you're going to have a video call with someone to say okay how did that go mm-hmm. did did you get it done and then if you didn't like how can i support you in getting it done what's what's happening there yeah yeah it really makes the process of moving forward with things you've been thinking about for years it helps you move forward and get them done. So you mentioned having a virtual office, a virtual law office. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the concept behind that. What does that mean, having a virtual law office? And are you still taking clients as a lawyer? I I am still taking clients as a lawyer, but it's very specific. Um, when I first started my practice, I mentioned I was a criminal prosecutor. So um, when I went out on my own and did networking, I knew a lot of defense attorneys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I had a lot of criminal clients, and that was involved going to court more so. Um, but I knew I wanted to engage with people who were doing more business, uh, had more business needs, and a lot of that is transactional. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, what that platform is, is um, I do have, say, a remote office where if we need to have a conference or something in person, if that's what you prefer, we could do that. But a lot of clients now are used to online platforms. They're used to chatting with, you know, their credit card company through a chat service mm-hmm. or jumping. So it doesn't feel foreign to them for us to speak. Um, and as long as that um, portal is secure, I can do that. And um, I We'll talk about, usually have intake forms, et cetera, and we'll talk about what their needs are. Um, if they are dealing with an issue where there's a third party involved, if there's a conflict or something like that, that is a little different. It's just about meeting with the attorney. I usually go to their office or something like that. But it's mainly just explaining to the client, like, I work virtually, so you're not going to come to my office every day. But it means that I have more flexible hours. It means I can talk to you at 8 p.m. Um, if you need to, because you had to go to work and get your kids down and you can't come to my office at four. Um, and so it makes it a little easier in that sense. Now, one of the things that you have on your website is a resource library. Tell me about how you built that up and how you decided on what kind of areas to focus on for your prospective clients. Um, so I write for Solo Practice University, which is an online platform for solo uh, law, law practitioners and they have courses, et cetera. And um, in writing for and for them, there were a lot of questions that came up from different lawyers from blog posts. And I said, well, let me put together like a resource library that kind of s- specific to those questions and things that people were emailing me. One of them, which is, is changing pr- uh, practice areas um, in the legal field, people are tend to be I'm a real estate lawyer and that's it forever. <laughs> I'm a IP lawyer and that's it forever. And as I mentioned, I went from criminal law into small business law, which is a big leap. And there's a lot of fear with making such a big change. And how do you do that and do that so that you can serve your clients well? And it's not just about resources. Um, I think in the legal field, um, once you get out of law school, a lot of the resources don't really speak to the day-to-day needs that your clients might have. And so you really have to figure out 
you know, how can I how do I practice in a way that's efficient and talk to people in this industry and network with them to find out how I can be the best advocate in this new area. So I put together a resource on that. I put together something that I call stick versus quit. Okay, what's that? (laughs) It's an assessment because a lot of people are like, should I stay in the law or should I quit this? It's a frustration. Like, should I stay here? What should I do? And they're asking asking you whether they should do it or not. Exactly. I think a lot of people come with that question. Uh um, Or they'll say, like, I know I need to leave this job, but I just have to get myself together. And it's like, well, what do you what does that mean? What do you mean? Get yourself together. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Let's unpack that. Mm -hmm. So. All right. So what happens when someone asks you if they should become a lawyer? Or if they're already a lawyer and they want to continue on, but they're not sure whether it's the right step for them. What do you tell them? I tell them the first step is to really do a thorough self-assessment. And so I think when people think of assessments, they just think of like the Myers-Briggs test or something like that. Sure. But that's not what that's not what it is. It's about really thinking about what are my values in this moment? What are my skills? What are my needs psychologically? Like I have a need for financial stability, as we talked about. And so I am constantly dealing with that in my entrepreneurial goals and but I know that okay I have to make sure that need is met and like a psychological need is something where you don't know that you have it until it's gone and so like Mm. when money is gone if your psychological need is financial stability all of a sudden you're like I'm selling water on the street I work here I work 500 million places (laughs) because I have a you know you have a fear of being without um, so you have to do a real assessment of yourself and your needs. Um, and then once you do that assessment, you need to decide of those needs that you have, what's the most important thing and what's not. Like some people value work-life balance. Um, but that might not necessarily be as important as something else. If you say, like, even though this job, I have to work longer hours, I'm serving a community that's really important to me. And my value in serving maybe. um children or the environment, I hold that as a higher value than necessarily having to be able to leave work at five. Um, And so once you decide on that and make an an assessment, then I think the next thing you you need to do is think about like viable options for your future. I like to do three um, and like a five year plan. I, I don't know. I have this thing with fives, but I think you can't really plan your life. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. But for five years, you can think, what would I like to happen? And you can be real as realistic or as unrealistic. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> um, as unrealistic as you think. But if you think really about in five years, like what would I have liked to have happen? And then you can kind of look at those assessments and then say like, okay, how can I sort of prototype or live into these assessments like can I talk to people can I meet people on LinkedIn can I see is this their experience because I think it's going to be like this like if I'm a chef I think I'm going to be like Bobby Flay on the cookie channel (laughs) like is that really what's going to happen to me in five years Um, or whatever you think and then you kind of just have to decide you have to decide and take action and as you take action and you decide um you'll see whether this is really working for you or not. And you have to be willing to pivot too, because sometimes what you think is going to happen usually isn't what occurred. And you kind of have to be okay with that. Um, So to answer your question, the first step, of course, is just to assess where you are. Like, where am I for real? What are my values? What are my needs? What are my skills? What do I like? What type of people do I like working with? Um, And I don't think it's unrealistic in this day and age to be able to find either a job or create a business for sure that meets your needs. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it's just really uncovering the reasons behind why you do what you want to do. Yeah. 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 That's great. 
Yeah, I remember whenever I was looking at master's degree programs, I was considering going to law school. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine invited me to lunch. He's like, let me just talk to you about what it's like (laughs) being a lawyer actually in reality. Right. And then over the course of lunch at California Pizza Kitchen, she said, no, you don't want to become a lawyer because we don't need any more lawyers. (laughs) I was like, really? Well, what if I just want to make a lot of money? There's other ways to make money, George. There's other ways to make money. And there was something about that. I was like, why is law and the profession of law one of those practices that really has a lot of issues around the actual work that has to be done. Why is that? Why is uh, it so challenging? Um, so there are a lot of factors um, around that. Well, first, it, the people often ask me, should, should you go to law school? And, and that's like a really difficult question because I think there's the going to law school question and then there's being a lawyer, right? So being a lawyer, in a minute we'll talk about those challenges because there are. But I feel like going to law school to me was like learning how to read as a kid. Like the world changed. I yeah. learned so much and I had a greater understanding of the world. So do I think people should get that education? Yes. Do I think it should cost as much as it does? I don't know about that. You know, that's expensive. Yeah. That's a that's another like, you know, oh, how do I how do I work this out? Because it's an expensive education to get. And, the, and they're training you to think like a lawyer, right? They're training you to think like a lawyer. They train you to figure it out they they train you it's like joining i don't know like a fraternity like you're in this whole like society where there's language there's there's rules there's hierarchy but also um they train you to be tenacious they train you to be like i'm gonna get this answer this problem is going to get solved i don't care if it takes a month, a year, 10 years of cases lasting 10 years, there is a lawyer who's been plugging away on that case for 10 years. So all of those values plus the actual legal education, you learn all of that in law school. Um, And then I think the challenges of being a lawyer, of course, there are the hours, right, which everyone knows about. Um, And I don't think people realize how much work goes into something as simple as writing a letter. You know, you just sit down, you write a letter in five minutes. For a lawyer, they could work on that letter for hours, literally for hours, trying to make sure that they're protecting their client's interests, trying to make sure that they are speaking to the law in the correct way. There's a lot of work involved in that. Um, There's a lot of anxiety involved in being a lawyer. Um, You're the person that people come to for answers, and so there's really it feels like there's never really a time for you to say, like, I don't know. Let me research mm. that. A client doesn't want to hear you say, <laughs> I don't know. Right. right. You there's there's so there's always this appearance, even though you're trained to figure it out. So, you know, you'll figure it out. But when you're on the spot, you can't say or it feels like you can't say, um, you know, what? I'm not sure about that right now. I'm going to do some research and come back to you. That's a better answer. But clients will get mad like you should know that. And it's like, I'm not a genie it's not downloaded into my brain but there's not a that's not how lawyers are viewed in our culture right Right. we should we should be the all-knowing genies of everything all the time yeah we think they're just kind of walking around with like this encyclopedic knowledge of everything about the law within their heads right exactly and then also that you don't and you relish in like not having a life you don't care you'll leave your kids you know i can call you at two o'clock in the morning because why why would you care about your family you should just be a lawyer at my beck and call um and that's how it's dramatized too if you think about television mm -hmm. representations uh movies how they represent lawyers there's almost a glorification of these kind of long hours that they work and kind of the burnout that's felt along with that, right? Right. And I think I think most lawyers, 
at least I know for me, when you start out, you don't mind the long hours mm -hmm. if it's something that you feel is important or, you know, affirming for your community or your values or whatever. But sometimes you're working on things for hours and it's mundane and it's not fun and you're there for hours and you're like, this is the most boring. What is this? What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's the most boring thing. Um, but you have to stay there. You yeah. have to be the person, you know, to read. You're the person that reads the 100 page contract and itemizes it and knows what's in it and knows and wrote it, yeah. you know. Um, so I think those are I think those are issues. I also think that um, the legal career itself, the business model is changing. Um, How is it? How is it changing? So the business model is changing in that um, I just think the. There are legal service providers such as um, I'm not going to remember names, but I, I think of like LegalZoom. LegalZoom, yeah. There are a lot of businesses that are setting up models like that, and other large, like I know some of the big accounting firms are um, going overseas and buying up like LegalZoom type businesses and trying to bring them over to the U.S. because they figured out how to um, do certain legal transactions at lower rate faster, um, and so the business model of I'm paying you for your time and your time is really expensive. A lot of people are getting annoyed by that because they're like, why would I pay you $1,000 for this when I can go to LegalZoom and it's yeah. 150 And that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a little hard to swallow as, a, as, a, as an attorney because it's like, but I really spent 1,000 hours of time on this. And, and so someone else, someone has figured out an automation to do it for 150 so how how do i how do i compete with this a lot of lawyers maybe they'll lower their prices or they'll keep their prices up and they have less clients and so i think the business model itself has to change we have to figure out a way to make it more accessible for more people sure. um and and make it more satisfactory to to other lawyers in general what advice would you like to leave our entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs and lawyers out there i would like to say i think the advice that i would want to give is that um, a lot of the women that I work with are mid-career professionals. They're in their 30s and 40s or so, sometimes in their 50s. And so we often feel like we can't do something different. We can't change. You know, we're already in this career. And it's never too late for you to try to do something new. It's never for you too late for you to give yourself an opportunity, to give yourself five years to try something. All that's going to happen is you're going to figure out whether you like it or you don't. So that's the fear. The dread is you're going into that job and you don't like it. And you know you're not going to like it. You didn't like it today. You won't like it tomorrow. So you can give yourself that opportunity and 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 that's okay. And so that's, I think, with the piece of advice I want people to know that it's better to be afraid than, than to dread something and that you can give yourself five years to try something that you really want. You deserve it. You've been working hard forever. Just Great advice. <laughs> <laughs> So, Toya, how can they get in contact with you? Um, so you can visit my website. It's just www.legally-bold.com. Um, I have a weekly blog there, and that's all the information on my business. I'm also on all of the social media platforms, so Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, um, and my Instagram is legally.bold. Thanks so much for dropping by today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You've been hearing from Toya Gavin of Legally Bold. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dcentrepreneur.com. 
If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.